Turn off the cruise control. It's time to press forward. Hello, a Divine Healing Journey family. Welcome to our podcast, A Divine Healing Journey, with two sisters on a journey, Tina Hightower Garrett and Wanda Mitchell Parenti. I hope you all are ready to ride. Hello, Overcomers. Thank you for joining today's episode, Life Interrupted. The topic is, My Grace is Sufficient. Our devotional, which is The Wrestling Match Has Already Been Won, will not be read today, but can be found in our Divine Healing Prayer Journal, which is now available on Amazon. How many of you have experienced incidents or situations that has interrupted your life? I know Wanda and I have. Our guest today, Nilda Palacios, who will be sharing with you her story about her life, how her life was interrupted and how she turned pain into purpose. Brace yourself because our conversation today could be sensitive, but is a subject that we guarantee you will bring you, bring you healing to even if you haven't had this same experience. Welcome Nilda to our podcast today. Hello everyone. My name is Nilda Palacios. I'm 40 years old. And uh, four years as of today, free. And what I mean by free is that I, I walked out of prison, spiritually free, physically free. And I am no longer bonded by the system. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about how I got myself involved in the system in the beginning and how I was interrupted and how I wanted to always be involved in God's life. Somehow it would be interrupted by other things. So growing up, I was living with my mother and in a household with my brother, who's almost seven years older than me, and a younger sibling my youngest sister she was a newborn and I was the middle child and in that household my mother was a single parent and she used to work double shifts and so I had to take like the responsibility of you know playing the sibling but also caregiver and I took on like responsibilities my brother did as well taking care of me and my youngest so being the middle child and my brother taking a full responsibility of taking care of us and my mother um, working at double shift, um, she would leave us alone a lot. And by her leaving us alone a lot, she would, the majority of time, we would be left with my stepfather and that would expose me to a lot of, um, you know, uh, sexual abuse. So, um, and a lot of times that I would bring these issues to my mother, uh, my mother would be like, what type of attention are you seeking? You don't understand. This could bring more problem to the home. So then that created a tension of keeping secrets in the, in the family in which I started to suppress, suppress, suppress. And in order to be telling the truth, I started to learn how to sort of manipulate the truth to a lie like no okay I'm not going to be able to tell the truth no more I'm going to start lying about everything that's happening in life because when you tell the truth no one ever wants to listen but when you start telling a lie you got everyone's attention you know and so at some point home wasn't a security for me no more my goal was I need to go to school, I need to get out of here, and I need to go somewhere else. So I started investing, investing in school. And pretty soon, I was an, a, a person that I, I went to school from six in the morning and started taking extra additional classes, you know, um, 
um, we went through CPS. They t- and then it, they ended up taking us away from home because, you know, the lack of my sleep, the lack of my academics. I started like really fluctuating in, in school. Um, this was during middle school. And so when they realized that something was not correct uh, happening at school, they made a, a course, uh, a report, and they took me and my sister away from home. My brother wasn't included because he wasn't like a documented child. Like he wasn't part of the United States. So they really didn't, couldn't involve him. Um, plus he didn't live at home no more. He had like left the home and he was like fed up with the same, like the abuse. He was physically abused. My mom would mistreat him a lot and stuff. So he left, he started on his own. And it was really difficult because, you know, we didn't really have the example, the role model of a mother figure or the role model of a father. So two years in the system, um, our mother started getting into our minds and saying, if you really, this is what she told us, plain and simple. I can have more children, but you will never have another mother. So if you need, if you want to come back home to me, this is your options. You need to say things are back to normal or you can just stay where you are and being in a foster hair. You know, so this was a really challenge for a seven, nine-year-old child that it's like, I don't want to lose the only parent that I know, you know, and it's really scary when you're facing challenges with the court system and stuff like that. So I went back to lying. Hey, everything's normal. Everything's okay. I want to go back home. You know, let's, let's just go back home. We want to go back to dad. Dad is the only thing that it's safe to us, you know, and so we said, okay, fine, let's go back with mom. So nothing changed, everything went back to normal. And then that's when I started um, pushing myself, gravitating to school. When high school came, that was another life interruption. You know, I try to continue seeking God and, you know, I didn't question it. I didn't question God at the time in my life, but this is the time when I said, does God really exist in my life? Does, is it really have, is it, is there really a God in, and a purpose for me. Um, at high school, I was already a um, honor student. I was a, a child that had involved myself in academic classes for night classes because my goal was to graduate even before I turned 18 years old. But so it happened, a high school teacher ended up becoming a uh, uh, overly associated with me and our conversation when I approached the teacher because I wanted to know how many hours of classes, how many credits did I qualify for, you know, an early um, graduation. He took the conversation and twisted it around and wanted to solicit it to having sex with me in order for me to graduate. So when I, when I, when I, when I heard what he said to me, I felt betrayed once again by a system that I felt that it failed me. Like I'm in school. I thought this was a safe zone for me. And I said, I can't believe this is happening. So when I was in school, and I try to leave the classroom and he seen how I responded and how the reaction to my reaction to him. And he seen that I rejected his oppose. Um, he, didn't, he didn't like it. And so we had a, sort of like a disagreement about why I said no to him. Um, I walked away. I didn't say anything. I felt just insulted. So come to find out, the school had several cases that they kept it under the rug on the same instructor. 
So the instructor got penalized for it. And all these cases came to daylight. But by then, the instructor had already sexually assaulted me in this room. And I think that mentally, that was the hardest thing where my life had was interrupted. And why did it happen? Because I was 16 years old and I knew that my dream was I want to graduate. I want my life to change. I want everything from this point to be different. And that goal was crushed when the teacher took advantage of me. And that moment, my brain, my, my mental mind, my physical body was like a dummy, like just laying there while somebody, when somebody just drained my body and took advantage of me and walked away, leaving me empty. Know that I'm sorry for interrupting, but I wanted to just be clear. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that your high school teacher raped you? Correct. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Okay, you can you can continue. I just wanted I wanted to be clear, and I wanted to make sure that our listeners were very clear what happened okay yeah yeah he did and um i felt so lost because i felt humiliated because um i didn't know who to run to because again going back to my family my stepfather was doing similar things and no one believed me so I didn't know what to do and tell my mom, tell anybody. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to, who to cry to. So when, and this is how I feel betrayed by many people, you know, like my mother, because when I finally did decided to talk about it and I was upset, uh, then everybody decides to get involved. And they say, what? Oh, who did it? You know, oh, this is a big thing. This is a big issue. All, all of a sudden, I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to mention it. I don't want to discuss the details of the thing he did to me. Um, and they're like, no, you need to talk about it. You, But I'm like, why is everybody so engaged, so involved? This happened to me the same exact way when my stepdad did this and nobody seemed too interested. Well, there was a civil case involved. Money was involved. So I think that was the importance, the highlights of it. So to me, I felt like everybody was chasing money behind it. It was a monetary thing. So I just wanted to die I wanted to get away from all of that I just didn't want to I didn't care it's just like it was senseless to me the, of course they went to court they did all the allegations but I was here I was dying like my brain was dying it was literally drying I was withering you know like I didn't feel like I have any intention anymore so I was striving, I was crying to God and asking God, what is it, what is my purpose? What is it that, what good is it gonna be out of this, you know? And so I'm trying to go to college, I'm trying to complete, they graduated me, they uh, wanted me to go back to prom and, you know, finish school and everything. But I honestly felt like, uh, why? I didn't complete the class. I didn't finish anything. 
but because of the tragedy that happened, oh, you guys want to just pass me through this whole course. So my brother encouraged, you know, he heard what happened and he was just like, sis, you, you know, you, I, I can help you. This is, this is really not good stuff. And that was the man, that was the only support that I felt that my brother was the one guiding me through this. And this is the guy that at 15 years old, he had left because he couldn't tolerate no more of the abuse that was happening at home with my mother and so you know he tried to cheer me up he tried to take me to prom he said you know this is a lifetime once in a lifetime and you know by now I'm just like crushed I I told them that you know I appreciated it and I did I attended I tried to do the best but by now I'm masking all these different things. I'm changing my name. I'm no longer calling myself. My name is Nilda. I have a different name. I go by Emily, you know, like I don't, I'm totally different personality because I'm becoming ashamed of that person that the media is talking about. I don't want to go back to school, you know. Um, and it's really difficult to 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 face that world again you know and at some point six months this is how fast life changed for me six months I got into an abusive domestic relationship someone who promised me that I don't have to deal with no more abuse no more no more uh, rape no more they promised me a nice home. They said, this is going to be a sanctuary for you. And they saw lies, lies of the devil. And they said, and you don't have to worry about thinking about those, those nightmares anymore. I got a medicine for you. And it's called drugs. I didn't know what drugs was. I didn't know what cocaine was. I didn't even know that mixing alcohol because it started becoming an alcoholic because all I wanted to do was numb myself, numb myself so that I didn't have to repeat that, replay that video and continue drinking, continue using cocaine and only to get into another prison. And I don't refer to an institution, but a prison of the mind to be controlled by another man to tell me I couldn't do this, I couldn't wear this, I couldn't, I didn't know what a relationship was. I was becoming the exact image of my mother. Everything that I never wanted to be, you know, at the age of 17, I was already a hostage, a woman of survival that became involved with domestic violence. And in, in being in this relationship with this man who I thought had told me, oh, you know, my name is such and such, I'm this age, all fake. I was so vulnerable that I believed this person who just mentioned these bunch of lies to me. And I was just so desperate to get out of the situation that I was in only to run into another one that was going to bring my life into shatteredness. And um, what ended up happening was, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the word squatter homes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, this dream home that he promised me he was going to put me in was only a squatter home a squatter home that he hid in because he was a drug dealer. And when I was placed in these squatter homes, I was driving a taxi because I was a female and females were more comfortable getting into these vehicles. And then at some point I was picking up and driving people, but I didn't know what the business was and he was doing the transaction. So in my naiveness and my vulnerability, I was put in these situations that 
got my life spiraling down to the point that continuously led me into the path of the valley of death. And what I mean by that is some women in domestic violence don't make it. Two times he choked me almost to death. And I'm very blessed by the grace of God that I'm still here alive to share my testimony today. because I didn't think I would make it through prison. And the other thing is that on July 29 of 2001, when, um, when he accused me that um, the man that was a Christian, he actually, his name was Noe, he asked me, um, he, he accused me that I was actually sleeping with a guy in a trailer and Noe was just a Christian man. And he asked me, do you want to turn your life to God? Do you want to give your life to God? Because this is not a life for you. This is no life for you. And Noe was just a panhandler, no different than me. I was a homeless woman. I was someone in need of God. I was thirsting for God. I was someone that I kept asking God for answers. And I believe God has sent me a servant, you know, someone to deliver the message. And Noe was someone who was obedient. He was a follower of God. And he said, you know, I, I'll invite you. Come to church to, to our ministry let's go to church, you know, you, you don't need to be dealing with this abuse anymore, and I said, no way, it's not easy, I can't just walk away from this relationship, he knows my every move, he controls my phone, it's not that easy, so um, somehow he started um, setting up these hideouts, my partner started hiding out stuff like um, putting things away and hiding things, stealing stuff from me. And then he started coming and accusing me, just telling me, are you sleeping with this Christian man? What is going on between you two? You guys are spending too much time. And we're literally just trying to do Bible study. We're literally are just trying to like find a way to, you know, um, spend more time with God. The guy was a crippled man. He had a um, polio and I had had enough. I had had to the point where I was fed up and it's, it was going to be either me or him. And the day that I got arrested, they found out they found two ditch holes in the backyard, which meant that my partner at the time had dug two holes because he had done two barriers. He was going to bury two bodies. So I don't know who he was intending to kill, you know. But um, that night, um, unfortunately, there was a dispute between Noe and Edwin. That was the name he had disclosed to me. Edwin was the partner. And... Edwin um, kept telling me, you know, it is your fault. This is why this is happening. This is all your fault because you're the reason this is causing all these problems. You brought him into our property. I just try to help um, Noe. He was someone who was a panhandler. And so I felt that the property stayed alone during the nighttime since we worked during the day I mean do we, we work during the night so I had someone that can stay there with me and I didn't feel alone I had someone I can share the word with and it turned out that that night because of my my invitation to Noe Noe ended up dying to this day is so difficult 
to think about hearing the words of a Christian pleading for his life, asking, you know, please don't do this to me. You don't have to hurt me. God loves you. You don't have to hurt me. And and that's being the last words, pleading for his life. Um, to me, that was like very like a moment that I could not seem to understand that how is this happening so quickly? How is my life being interrupted? You know, when God has sent a servant for me and I'm not able to do much. Um, and then he's looking at me to see what I'm gonna do, you know, how I can interfere with it. It was either me or him. And so I ended up just taking action and I knew he was ready to hurt me. And so my best thing was just calling for help, calling for help and leaving it in the hands of God and knowing that getting arrested was the best choice, you know. After so many years of listening, um, partaking in restorative justice, I always share this story because I, sh I tell people I want him to live through me. I want his life not to be in vain. I want people to understand that domestic violence is not, it's, it's not just like you don't have an option. You, you, you survive, but you don't have to stay either. You know, you can look for help. Um, I advocate for women. I work at a place where we help other women continue sharing our connections. Mothers that are single with children, we help people that don't have to stay in that situation any longer. You don't have to be in my situation no longer. Noah is no longer alive, but you don't have to be in prison either. Prison wasn't an experience easy either you know I went through a lot of suicidal attempts because I couldn't live with myself with that with that experience there was a lot of um emotional mental turmoil um there was a lot of things that I battled with but as getting to know God and as getting to really submerge my my life into the things of the Lord there's been a lot of self-forgiveness. There's been a lot of self-cleaning. There's been a lot of healing, you know, and there's been a lot of purpose found in my, in my life, you know, where I'm able to connect with the family of those. Today, you know, I've made contact with the family of the victim and we both come together and it's that powerful restorative justice of forgiveness where we were able to move forward and share that testimony, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to tell them where I come from. And I'm not saying that it was justified for, from my point of view, and it will never be justified, but I can do something to, to continue giving their honor for their victim, you know? And mm -hmm. that I will never, um, I will never stop moving forward in, in, in giving um, that, second, that second life to their, their brother, their son. You know, every day I want to make sure that I live with that intention. You know, by them giving me that second, second chance to life, I don't live it with, with just all oh, selfishly. You know, I want to have a, an attention. 
and that's doing God's work. Wow, Nilda, that sto- your story is incredible. Your life may have been interrupted, it sounds like, several times. Um, your story is, am- is amazing, and you're a miracle. She's beyond amazing. You're beyond amazing. You are beyond amazing. And it goes back to you turn that pain into purpose and you're still doing it right now. As you, as we speak, you, you, you're still doing it through betrayal. Uh, But what really prompted me is the word forgiveness. When you mentioned that, that just tugged my heart so dearly because that's the key to healing. And, and you forgave yourself. God forgave you, but you forgave yourself. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Another, Absolutely beautiful. Nelda, I just wanted to make sure that we all, again, are very clear and understand um, what you're sharing. No way became a friend, like an ally for you. Correct. And was it your abuser who took his life? Correct. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that, Wanda, because I was a little unclear as well. Thank you so much. Uh, Nilda, if you don't mind, can you walk us through the the night that, or the day, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sure, but the time when the encounter between you, the final encounter between you and your abuser. Okay. If you don't mind. So the night that, um, August 29, 2001, it was around three o'clock in the morning um my abuser works woke up and starts to beat me down and tells me this is all your fault we are in this situation because of you um and starts throwing things at me and he grabs what is called like a t-shirt and starts wrapping it around my neck and he says that he's gonna kill me the same way he was gonna kill Noe. um that's when i i had a revelation and i psychologically i blacked out on him and i start hitting him i start i start i start flashing and um I hate him so much. I think that um, I blacked out on him that I I left him unconscious. And I left the scene the next day. Oh, I, well, I left the scene. I, I went for, I, I went for help. And the first person that I called through a public phone was my mother. I asked her to come pick me up, please. I think that I had done something and I broke down and I said, you just need to take me to a church because I honestly feel that I did something wrong and I'm going to go away for a while. And I don't want to get you involved. And I just, I think that I'm not a bad person, but I, I didn't know what to do. And it's either... It was either me or there was no way I I couldn't defend myself any other way. And my mom just stood quiet listening to me. And I mean, it was all over the news later. It was, they were looking for me for, you know, the victim, uh, uh, well, not just the victim that I, has strangled um 
and killed. And um, then I went to prison for that. You know what? And thank you for sharing that and clarifying it. Totally appreciate that. Yeah. But what I, what I see as tragic is your situation was, I can't even imagine, but God was in your life from the very beginning. You were seeking him from the very beginning. That's what I get out of everything that you said. I mean, he was with you. He sent so many people your way. Unfortunately, even no way. And, and you reached out to him when you mentioned he was a panhandler. I remember when um, even with Jesus, when he knocked on the door, he was a beggar, but you reached out to him. You didn't look at what this person looked like. He was crippled. You didn't. You had a heart from the very beginning after God. And that same heart is taking you to back to, I know I'm repeating it, you're paying to your purpose because you turned that around. Now you're helping other women uh, that could be might now listening in the same situation that you were in or they're in the same situation now experiencing what you did experience. What would you say to someone, I mean, maybe to even to, to be aware of, because you're not naive anymore. Like you said, you were naive. One thing you're not, Nilda, and that's naive, right? Because you, you are no longer naive, girl. You are telling your story boldly and courageously. You're sharing it. And because of your story, you're healing so many women. But is there something that maybe you could tell a listener right now, if they're in a situation or what that situation may look like? Um, to prevent it from happening, because we can't, you can't blame yourself, because you did nothing wrong. Um, you, you, like you said, you, 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 you wanted to tell the truth, but you saw the truth wasn't getting you anywhere. So you lied. And so many people have been in that same situation. Well, heck, you know, truth isn't helping me. So what do I do now? I'm going to lie. Do you have it, any advice that you could give to someone right now that could possibly be going through that same situation? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I have learned is utilize my discernment. Utilize my discernment when it comes to using the flags of getting to know people. Because I used to have the thing when I used to self-disclose because I used to think people knew I was a prisoner. You know, like right away, I'd be like, oh, you know, I just got out of prison. But um, I just use discernment. I am... Um, I, I do a small prayer and I, um, you know, you never know who you're sitting next to. You never know what the next person's going through. Um, and sometimes just kindness, a warm kindness, a gesture, um, I've learned that can go a long way. Just as an example in my work, being a simple, uh, comment like a comment like you know honesty of you know today I've had a real a genuine conversation about myself and sometimes when you open that little door of honesty about your own self people tend to feel like you you leave that door that that wall down so if you're that that you don't have a a, a wall up then they feel comfortable enough to to say you know this is something that i'm going through and and they're more willing to open up versus viewing you as a perfect person and thinking that it's not okay to open up around you because i've come across a lot of more people sharing difficulty times around with their children and once i tell them you know please share because this is a safe place for you. Um, this is where I come from, you know, and this is the things that I've gone through. Instead of judging the skeleton, you know, that it has a nice blouse and it's in good critical work ethic clothes. No, I've, I'm a very broken person that, you know, survived through this. And once they hear the story, they start dumping everything out and then they feel their connection to me. It's relative, you know, that's and I powerful. feel that, that, that that's worth it. Yeah. Again, Nilda, thank you so much for sharing. Um, 
I'm as I was listening to you and as I've listened to your complete story, I think back and I go, my God, you were with her every step of the way. There was never a moment. And I'm sure as a, a small young child, there were times where you were thinking, and I think you even said, God, where are you? And why is this happening to me? Which tells me that you were very, you were aware of God from a very young, young age. Yes. You have the mind to know that he, he was there. He was with you. You have the mind to, to talk to him and to call out, to cry out to him at a very young age. So there was never not a time where he wasn't with you and you know, you knew that. And he was even sending people to you. And you knew that he was sending even panhandlers to yes. you. From what I hear, I see you never letting go of that. And that's mind blowing to me. Um, it, and it just, it just makes my, my heart boil over. And just to know that even in our darkest hours that he's he is there and I know that people will look at you and they will listen to your story and they'll they'll still want to think but 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 God but there by the grace of God go any of us but God is he's he was always there he was there with you he is if anyone is listening and is going through this or has gone through this, he is right there. And you just said something else. So key discernment. Yes. Discernment, yes. you yes. know, discerning his voice, discerning his presence, discerning and knowing that he is God. If we look in the Bible, as you were speaking, I was like, oh my God, like Joseph. Joseph went from his parents' home <laughs> to the pit, to prison, mm -hmm. to the palace. Mm -hmm. I mean, That's so and, true. And, and, and all of it is so that you can do exactly what you are doing right now, turning your pain to purpose. Yes. Yes. To, to purpose. Thank you. I can't even thank you enough. But for our listeners, Nilda, I'm thinking about those young girls where there may be a stepfather present or boyfriend of a mother and they're feeling and things are happening and they're feeling like they can't tell mom. They're feeling like they're not going to be listened to and believed or trust it and they feel like there's no one they can trust or that high school student who's in school and, and, and something's not right with the teacher who they should trust, but cannot Absolutely. trust. Are there any, uh, are there any tips or resources that you know of that would be helpful? Yes. And can I interrupt there? Because that's perfect, Wanda, what you're saying. But this also includes, it could be a, a boy, um, a male that's in the same situation, because Absolutely. we oftentimes think of girls that this happens to girls only, but it also happens to boys. So we want to make certain that we're, we're not excluding our young men in any way, because it also includes boys. Exactly. Um, they have San Francisco, um, sorry, uh, San Francisco Unified School District. Um, they have um, these websites where they can do a report and they actually do critical report lines. So if the mother or father feels that something suspicious is going on and they don't feel comfortable reporting it directly to the school, they have these um, websites online where they can go strictly to the district and make a, re uh, a report there. And then they can start an investigation there. 
And I would take it and thank you so much for that, that they would remain anonymous because a lot of times people are very, oftentimes it's, they don't want to mention or bring anything up because they don't want the person that's violating them to know in any way. So what you're saying, it's anonymous and it's a safe place. And probably even thank you for that, because if a person is not in the San Francisco school district, I'm certain that probably other districts, because we could have a a listener here who may be out of town in a different state, I'm certain that the other school systems will provide the same service. Absolutely. A lot of the girls that came forward after my case exploded, um, they were all anonymous and they were confidential. They they remained private until they felt comfortable enough to come forward. That helped as well. Wonderful. Uh, You have, you know, you're working in an environment now where you are able to mentor women and walk them through these difficult, difficult times. Um, Thank you. Thank you. We definitely need more people who have gone through things to come back and lock arms with those who are going through them and help them through it to get to the other side. So thank you for, for turning your pain into purpose, Nelda. I would love to ask you, aside from, I know the healing you're receiving from doing that, how else do you take care of yourself? Mentally, emotionally, um, how do you take care of yourself spiritually as well? So I have a a amazing fairy dog. (laughs) Milo Milo who has been a great um, emotional support for me he's a wonderful pleasure to have um he's also my service dog and I take him out for walks we go hiking I also have the pleasure to live right here by Marina Bay which we have the viewing of the water and as you see the the sounding of the background there's also that running water to me that's a sort of relaxation I like to do journaling um but mostly biking I like to bike biking is also like exercising for me takes me out of like you know having to remove myself away from work you know because Working at pediatrics with mothers, it sort of separates the workload that I do during the week, but um, it brings me to this oasis, and it just reminds me of having that spiritual connection with God and knowing that um, it's a process, you know, my healing is a process, and I get to spend it with Milo. Milo is my the love of my joy. <laughs> that is so beautiful. And I have to say, because even I, I started it off saying, you know, hello, overcomers, but you are truly the definition of an overcomer. Thank you. You Thank really you. are. Thank you. And Nilda, one, one last question for me before we go is, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned from your experience? The greatest lesson that I've learned um, we never stop growing, you know, we never stop growing, and that all of the lessons in life, when I thought, you know, for me, that I questioned it, like why, to me now it seems to see like this is it was just a process of me growing, growing up. Um, I'm also, I'm actually also celebrating my sobriety, you know, how many years I've had sobriety, how many years I've, and I, I'm embracing the many years of, of how I'm blossoming. It's like, I had to go through all of that filth in order to see the, the new change in me. 
So those are the things that I'm seeing that, oh, okay, I see. <laughs> I, I'm like, I wouldn't want to go through them again, but God, you know, thank you. I see And that. you're still young and yeah. you're still young. You're thank still you. what? You're under what, 39, 40 years old, 40, yeah. come on. And you're still young. <laughs> you have another 40 years or more to yeah. share, <laughs> which is a blessing. It's a blessing. Thank, thank you. you so much. Juan, is there anything you'd like to say before before we close? Because I tell you, your story has it's helped me even in working, like you said, healing is a process. We're healing every day. Because when we think one owie, I call it an owie because I have little ones, then there's something else that pops up. So it's a process. It's and a, we just there's this readiness and then there's those other little stems, you yes. know, connect with other things and every yes. day with each other we all heal heal people heal others mm -hmm. and i've learned that hurt people hurt others you know so my new motto is heal people heal others so i want to be great. i love it we're I taking that from you we're taking that we're going to take it right one healing right. people help others oh my goodness say that one more time heal people heal others i love so, it Mm -hmm. that's so great okay you know I often think about you know uh wine and when people we go wine tasting and you know you have your wine connoisseurs and oh this wine is great and this this wine is lovely you know the most amazing wines we live here in California I call it California wine country right yeah um but what the grape has to go through to get oh my god right the that bottle yes. of wine right crush or for my wine. olive lovers for my olive lovers who love <laughs> olives you know my husband he just puts them on all 10 fingers and he just he just eats them <laughs> off his fingers what olives go through as well right the pressing the That's crushing, crushing. Of, the, of the grapes and the pressing of the olives and you know even diamonds right I was thinking of diamonds when you said that. Even diamonds. I was thinking so, of diamonds. You know, I, I I look at you and I see a diamond. Oh gosh, definitely. A diamond keep shining mm -hmm. and keep allowing the love of God shine within you. Yes. So that others may see. And definitely we are going to share this podcast with the world. And uh -huh. others, others will also hear the goodness of God yes we are no matter what it looks like they will they will know the goodness of God so thank you again so much I can't thank you enough thank you destination destiny destiny destiny, destiny.